and welcome to The Literacy Teacher's Life, a podcast for teachers and parents that gives ideas about how to help our children learn to love reading, writing, and all things literacy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morphus, a literacy professor and a mom to two elementary-aged girls. Here we'll talk about thoughtful, creative, and realistic ways to navigate literacy learning so that your children will feel supported and seen in their reading and writing. Now, let's get this conversation started. Welcome to today's episode of the Literacy Teachers Life Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Morphus. This is episode 18. And today, I will be speaking with a super amazing author, John Shu. I met John in March at a conference on Long Island, and he is so energetic and such a proponent of teachers and librarians and kids reading. So when I had the opportunity to speak with John, I jumped on that. John has a book that was recently published, and it's called This is a Story. It is such a beautiful book, and he will talk more about this book and how he got the idea for it. So in our conversation, John shares his own experiences as a teacher, a librarian, and a children's author, and he gives such amazing ideas for how we can support kids as readers and writers. He has a writing tip that I think is so powerful. I think you're going to love it. So let's get right to the conversation. All right. Welcome, John. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to chat with you. I loved meeting you in Long Island recently, and I've been looking forward to our conversation ever since. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Same here. Do you mind beginning by introducing yourself? Oh, of course. So I am John Shu, which is actually not my legal name. <laughs> uh, my legal name is John Schumacher, but I have gone by John Shu and Mr. Shu since the year 1999 when I did my very first clinical experience with preschoolers. They were struggling with saying Mr. Schumacher, and on that day I became mm. Mr. Shu. And so I graduated from that program where I became Mr. Shu with a degree in elementary education. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to be a third grade teacher. And so oh, for three years, I was a third grade teacher. And then I always tell kids I got promoted and I became a fourth grade teacher. And I actually looped with my students. And that was so magical because I knew all of them right away on the first day of school. And I knew their reading lives and their writing lives. And we bonded immediately. And then I went to library school to learn how to be a a librarian. And I thought I would stay in the classroom for a few more years, at least until I finished library school. But then, as I often tell kids, my principal manipulated me by saying, John, if you become our school librarian next year, that means the kids who had you as a third grade teacher and as a fourth grade teacher get to have you as their school librarian in the fifth grade. And so I said yes. And so for nine years, I was the school librarian where I was a third and fourth grade teacher. And after 13 years at my school, I left for a position with Scholastic Book Fairs called the Ambassador of School Libraries. And for almost six years, I was the Ambassador of School Libraries. And for four and a half of those years, I would travel 220 days a year all over the country advocating for libraries and librarians. 
and reminding everyone that every child deserves to go to a school with a full-time school librarian. The going to a school with a full-time school librarian who actually has a budget should never <laughs> be seen as a privilege, but as a right. Because of COVID, I left that、yeah. position because my role changed so vastly, and now I'm the children's librarian for Bookalicious. And I am a children's author who does mostly school visits. So sorry, that was longer than no, the reader's <laughs> digest. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. What made you decide to move from being a classroom teacher into into being a librarian? Yeah. So I. Yeah. Actually, didn't really love libraries as a、oh. kid because the library that I went to was the school element. Let me can I restart that question? Yeah,、Sorry. absolutely. I'm also listening for downstairs.、Right. For the... <laughs> <laughs> Ask the question again, and I'll start over. What What made you decide to tr- to transition from being an elementary teacher to a librarian? So,、uh, my first master's degree is in teaching and learning,、mm-hmm. and halfway through the program, we had to do a project where we had to evaluate a periodical. And at that time, I didn't subscribe to any periodicals. So I went to the school library to ask the school librarian if she had any periodicals, and she'd already left for the day. And so I went through her desk <laughs> and I found a copy of School Library Journal, and I brought it home and I read it cover to cover.、Oh、and because、gosh. of that issue of School Library Journal, I saw all the amazing things that were happening in libraries around the country, and I started researching library schools、oh, wow. and I applied to library school. And the week after I finished that first master's degree, I started my master's degree in library science. And so I often jokingly say during professional development presentations that that was the most expensive issue of School Library Journal that I ever stole because I'm still <laughs> paying for library school. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's too funny! <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's talk about your own works and、yep. your most recent book. This is a story was recently published, and the book starts with a dad and a child heading to the library. And I love how you begin with "This is a word, this is a word on a page, this is a page in a book," and then you take the readers into the library to all of the children reading their own books. And I thought that was just so powerful.、Mm. The image. Can you talk a little bit about the idea for this book? Yeah, and I love you did a、yeah. wonderful job reading it aloud. <laughs> like I know nobody can see us right now, but I was、yeah. moving to the rhythm and the cadence、okay. of of, the, of those lines. So this is a story I've been telling students during school visits. It's truly the picture book of my heart. I wrote it before this is a school. I wrote it before the gift of、oh, really? story. It is my love letter to children, to libraries, to librarians.、Uh, but most importantly, how stories can help us grow and how stories can connect us. And the inspiration for the book really was because of all of the amazing students I met around the the country as the ambassador of school libraries. And there's a moment still to this day where I have all of the students turn and they look at their teacher and I say, "Make direct eye contact with your teacher." <laughs> And I have them repeat this message about the power and the importance of story, about how books can make our hearts more compassionate,、mm-hmm. about how important it is to experience stories together every single day as a classroom community, and have the students thank their teacher for reading aloud every single day.、Mm-hmm. And after reflecting on that message, and it changes every single time depending upon the experience, I thought. 
It'd be really awesome if there was a poem or if there was a book that I could read aloud that really brings together that message. And I couldn't find one. And so I wrote one. And I thought when the book came out that I would start just reading it aloud, but I still don't. I still have them repeat something that I tailor to that experience. But behind me is always the book trailer for this is a story. And I feel like I'm just, I'm narrating this is a story through kind of an individualized poem that I write for every school visit. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I love how you said how stories can connect us. So because of this connection, what's the importance of stories in our lives? Yeah. So I think about story a lot. I think about heart a lot. When I was writing my professional book, The Gift of Story, I had to keep thinking, some people are going to think like I'm way too woo-woo. Like I am like (laughs) too much from the heart. But I do like I think about the status of my heart all of the time. I think about the status of students' hearts. And I think a lot of that comes from loving the writing of Kate G. Camillo, where in all of her books, she comes back to the heart. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the common theme in all of her books. And it's the common theme in in all of my work and all of my teaching. And really thinking all all the time about how stories can affirm our experiences, right? Mm -hmm. How they can challenge our comfort zone, how they can give us space to hibernate when we need to pull out of our own isolation, when we need to be reminded we're not alone. Right. I think stories help us thrive and move forward as a human existence. Mm -hmm. So I think I just think about story and heart all the time. And that's why I think stories are so important. Oh, I <laughs> so love that. Hopefully I answered that. Yes, okay. <laughs> and I love I love that. I love how that cuz it's funny because I always go back to, you know, really wanting kids to just enjoy and love reading and writing. And I think that connects it, it connects to what you what you know with story yeah. and heart and they have to have something if they're not liking what they're reading, it's going to be hard to enjoy it. Yeah. So yeah, say, very much. yeah. So Just continuing with this as a story, what do you want kids and families to learn about libraries, books, and stories from this book? Yeah. So as I think I mentioned earlier, this is a story is the picture book of my heart. It's my heart in picture book form. And when I was Mm -hmm. writing it, I was thinking about Lauren Castillo's art. And I am so grateful that Lauren Castillo agreed to be the illustrator of this is a story. Lauren and I have been friends for more than 10 years. Oh my she gosh. understands my heart. I think I understand her heart. Yeah. And Lauren really does share her heart through all of the art that mm-hmm. she creates. So I was thinking a lot about that. And is what I think is so beautiful is the moment that Lauren captures on the cover that it shows what it feels like when you find your heart print book, when you find your touchstone book, when you find your forever book that you want to throw mm-hmm. back your head and you want to close your eyes and you want to embrace the book. So really is what I, I hope that families get out of the book is helping their children, helping themselves find a book that makes them want to do that. I hope that one day every child finds a book that one day inspires them, like the little girl on the cover. Her name is Greta, even though her name isn't in the book. And I love teaching kids that her name is Greta, that they close their eyes and they hug the book to their chest and that they take in the beauty of that moment, a moment that for so many of us stays with us for the rest of our lives. So I hope that's what it helps families discover and to always go to the library for recommendations. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they have a librarian like the librarian in the book 
And I'm not just saying that because I am the librarian in the book. <laughs> and since I taught you all the little girl's name on the cover, I want to I teach yeah. a few additional names if that's oh, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, the brother, the younger brother, his name is Liam. And I okay. love when I meet Liam's because I say, Liam is the little boy and this is a story. <laughs> and then the stuffed animal that mm -hmm. Liam is holding, his name is Lou Grant. And Lou Grant oh is my, my cat. So my cat is the oh, stuffed animal it. in the book. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is great. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing oh, that. No, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Hopefully I answered the question. You absolutely <laughs> did. You absolutely okay. did. So what are some ways that this book can be used by teachers in the classroom? Well, there are two amazing resources that are created by Colby Sharp. And Colby okay. Sharp is a fifth grade teacher in Parma, Michigan. And he's the editor of a wonderful story, short story collection called The Creativity Project. And he has co-written two books with Donalyn Miller, The Book Whisperer, Donalyn Miller. And Colby created both of the guides and he tried out all of the activities with his oh, wow. fifth graders. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah, so I think the best resources would be to look at those two teaching guides because every idea that I would share would be ideas that Colby put in both of those guides. That's amazing. I'll definitely yeah. link to well, that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So you go into so many classrooms each year mm -hmm. and I feel like you work so well with teachers. You're you're such a supporter of teachers. Can you speak about what you do when you when you go and visit classrooms? Yeah, so I don't get to go to a lot of individual classrooms yeah. other than kindergarten. So when I okay. do school visits, I usually do an assembly for grades three through five. Okay, I always do three through five if those grade levels are in the school. And then sometimes I'll see grades one and two. And something I started doing a few months ago is for if they want me to see kindergarten, I actually go into their classrooms and I spend okay. 15 minutes in their classroom. And we talk about what they love to read and I make book recommendations. And we talk about the inspiration for this is a school or this is a story. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's seven minutes. Yesterday I went to a school and it was 17 minutes. Oh my so gosh. I really see like, how much they can handle and, right. and how it's going on that day in that moment in their classrooms. But it's what I usually do is I see 200 to 400 students at a time wow. in an assembly setting. And two weeks ago, Newberry medalist Catherine Applegate and I saw 600 oh fourth God. graders at one time. And I had never oh seen that many kids at one time. But the energy is so, so amazing. So this is what yeah. I do during school visits. I start by honoring the librarian. Hopefully okay. they have a librarian who has been involved. And then I always mm -hmm. honor the principal. And then I honor one teacher that I've been observing as I've been honoring those other two people. So I start the tone of yeah. this is going to be an assembly that is going to be high energy. And yeah. it's going to be an assembly in which I give away a lot of books and I'm looking for <laughs> hearts, right? And yeah. then uh, I talk about my background. I talk about my cat, Lou Grant. And then <laughs> for the rest of the assembly, it's around how reading is a workout for our imaginations. And I talk about, for me, how reading is a workout for my imagination. And then use lots of examples and try to pick books that I think they'll be familiar with. 
And I have a lot of one-on-one -on -one interactions then with students who love that genre or that series. And yeah. I love those moments because they're different every single presentation. Like my school visits are not cookie cutter in any way. And then wow. we talk about the inspiration for the gift of story. And I never thought I would talk to kids about the gift of story because I thought I was only writing it for teachers and yeah. for teacher librarians, but I was writing it for their students. And so I love talking to them about how reading stories and writing stories and sharing stories can help us heal our hearts and how they can mm -hmm. inspire us and how they can make us more compassionate and how they can help us clarify something, and most importantly, how they connect us. And so right. then the rest of the presentation is about how stories connect us. And I end the presentation by always talking about my connection to my heart print book, The One and Only Ivan. So yeah, oh, so really? it really is oh, wow. it's, it really in that role. And it's interesting, I'm in the role of, I always feel reader first, teacher okay. librarian second, teacher third, and then writer fourth. And so many oh, teachers come up after and say, wait, I was expecting you to only talk about yourself and only yeah. talk about your own stories. But I don't think I could talk about my own stories without talking about other people's stories. Oh, I love that. That's such yeah. a great way. Yeah. yeah, it's so true, right? No, I love it. <laughs> I love how you described reading as a workout for your imagination. Yeah. That is so powerful. And I think going with that as reading is this workout, what ideas do you have for teachers about supporting students with reading? If we're talking about it being a workout for your imagination. Yeah. So I think about Donald and Miller a lot when, when I'm asked questions like that. And, and for so many of us, reading in the wild has changed us as teachers and readers yeah. and learners. And Donald and Miller always talks about how, like, by what we promote, it shows what we yeah. value, right? And what by what right. we bless or by what we don't bless. So I think about a lot of that and give credit to Donald and his work. <laughs> when I talk about that. And for me, it's really when we read aloud and when we purchase and promote books that really honor a child's individual journey, I yeah. think that we take an extra step toward creating possibilities for stories to heal hearts, right? And inspire yeah. hearts. And in a lot of my work, and we, we've talked, this has come up a few times throughout our conversation, it comes back to healing that yeah. in my book, The Gift of Story, I write something like, Books can be the perfect prescriptions to let us know that we're going to be okay, that books can be a lifeline for us. And right. I think that through teachers reading aloud every single day, and I love when teachers do the classroom book a day challenge where they read a picture book with their students every single day. And I stop saying like, I always look at it as experiencing stories together and that the most powerful experiences through read aloud in a classroom bring to life images that can stay with us for the rest of our lives. And I think that through mm -hmm. reading aloud in classrooms and in families at home, that we can experience an extra jolt of empathy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is so important now. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. And what about parents? How can we're headed into the summer months where hopefully kids are reading at home yeah. with parents? How can parents support their kids reading at home? When I was a third grade and fourth grade teacher, when yeah. parents would say like, oh, my child's not reading, the first thing I'd always ask, well, are you reading with them? Are you reading mm -hmm. to them? And so often they say, well, my child can read on their own now, so I don't need to read to them anymore. And I would say, no, no, always have your family read aloud. Like read yeah. aloud picture books. Your child is never too old for picture no. books. Like 
don't take them away. And, and sometimes I think like there's no malice there, but sometimes they take them away because they look down upon them, that they think they're too easy. But, but we know that so often they're written at a a reading level that they can finally read on their own. And when they were being read them, the reading level was too high. And so they can finally read them on their own. And now they're told they can't read them. So I think reading together as a family, I think putting reading on the mm-hmm. schedule without yeah. it, as KHD Camillo would say, without it being seen <laughs> as a chore, like I don't yeah. think reading could ever be seen as a chore. I think KHD Camillo says it's a duty, not a chore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do collect KHD Camillo quotes. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, and I think also reading in front of your children, showing them yes. that you're a reader. And that's the other question I'd always ask families. Yeah. Well, do you read in front of them? And yeah. really honoring their reading lives and not referring to something as a baby book, which I heard at a Barnes and Noble yesterday. And oh, I want to go over and say no, no, or it's really hard for when I'm in bookstores sometimes and, and family members are saying, no, you can't read that graphic novel because it's not a real book. And sometimes I, I keep my opinions to myself, right. but often I will just interject something. I'll say, well, I'm a teacher and, and this is how I feel about graphic novels. So. I feel a lot of my role, like I don't work a lot directly with families, but I I try to give children a lot of skills to advocate for their own reading lives and help teachers advocate for the reading lives of students. But I think reading aloud and showing them that you are a reader, and that doesn't have to be like, a lot of adults will say, well, I don't read. And I'll say, well, do you read magazines and do you read newspapers and do you read like email. <laughs> yes. Right, right. <laughs> unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, is right. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> exactly. No, I think that's so powerful just to have. And I said this to somebody else that I really try when I'm reading to position myself in the house so that my kids yeah. see me reading. Yeah. And because that they notice, they pick and up on I think on I that. gave your children books at, at, you did? at li- yeah, Lilac. I stole them back. <laughs> I stole them for today. <laughs> you absolutely did. So I just finished, the, our, the semester is coming to a close. Ooh. And this semester, I, I ran a literacy clinic. Every spring, I run a literacy clinic where the students earning their literacy specialist degrees work with kids in kindergarten through 12th grade. And the kids come to the campus and it's a lot of small group and individual instruction for the kids. And one thing that I noticed this semester is that the kids were nervous about writing. But oh. then once they had the opportunity, like once my students, the graduate students made the space for it, they became really into writing. Yeah. So you're a writer. And yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious from a writer's perspective, what advice do you have for teachers about teaching writing yeah. to elementary students? It's so interesting. I've written six books and still being <laughs> called a writer. It's like, wait, it's really? Like, oh, Am I? <laughs> and, and five of my six books are poetry. And I, I, oh I'm trying out calling myself a poet, <laughs> but it still doesn't sound right. But, so, but this is, I'm going to share what I share during school visits. Yeah. And before I say that, I want to say teaching writing is really hard. You know, I have three degrees in education and I don't think I was ever really taught how to teach writing. I think I fumbled and I, and I, I I tried different strategies, but I really think you have to spend time writing yourself and you have to share them with people strategies that work for you, but knowing that they might not work for everyone. So this is what I say to sixth graders. So 
I say every day I write and writing is really hard for me, but this is how I prepare to write is I always go on what I call a joy walk and joy walking for me is pre-writing. And when I'm joy walking, I always, hopefully I can do it outside if the weather is okay. I always put my phone in airplane mode. I don't turn it completely off because I need to listen to music when I'm on my joy walk. And I make a playlist every single day. And it really, it helps me. Music helps me as a a writer. Um, I can only listen to classical music when I'm revising though. But when I'm drafting, it's really hard for me to write without music. So I share that with them. And I say, for you, you might need complete silence. And so when I'm on my joy walk, I'm, I'm making goals for what I hope to accomplish when I get back to my notebook. And I'll talk about my notebook more in a moment. And when I'm writing, I'm admiring the sky and I'm hoping my allergies aren't too bad and <laughs> I can take in all the smells outside. And it's really like I'm becoming one with nature and I'm centering myself. And is what I'm doing in those moments is I'm opening up my heart and I'm preparing to be brave and I'm preparing to be vulnerable because to write is really to be brave and to write is to sometimes be very, very vulnerable to put your Mm -hmm. heart on the page. And then once I go back to wherever I am, my hotel or a restaurant or my home, which I'm rarely in, (laughs) I always pick up my notebook. And I love talking to students about my notebook. And I tell them that there's only one store on the planet that sells my brand of notebook. And that store is called Target. (laughs) I can always (laughs) tell who loves Target. And I always say the notebook that I write in, and there's lots of them behind me, which you might kind of be able to see, costs $4.89. And and it's worth every single penny. And I talk to them about how I have to have the perfect pen. And I talk about the importance of that writing implement for me and how I can only write in notebooks that are actually sketchbooks because I like how thick the paper is. And I like that there are no lines. And and I say like, those are a lot of like idiosyncrasies, but they're things that that help me. And they're things that center me and ground me. And it allows me to then be the brave person and the vulnerable person who I have to be. And so for many people, writing on a notebook is not going to help. You have to be on the computer. I get stuck on the computer. The cursor terrifies me, (laughs) but the blank page for some reason in a notebook doesn't. And during my school visits, I come back to the notebook like three or four times. And by the second time, the all kids say from Target, because they know I bought (laughs) it at Target and they know how much it costs. And throughout the whole experience, I'm identifying one child, and there's always more than one, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to identify that child who I think needs the notebook the most. Oh my and God. then at the end, I gift them a book, and then I gift them the notebook. And then during the book signing, I tell them that often starting in a new notebook is really terrifying. And so I'm going to write on the first page for you. And oh I, write, I write them a note, and then... Let me grab, oh, I can't grab one because I'm tethered. But then I show them that there's a little flap, a little cardboard flap on my notebook that's $4.89 at Target. So you can just search that on the Target (laughs) app or website. And then I write the date for them. And then I write a little message and I tell them not to remove that. And so Um, I, you know, hopefully students, I'm not really helping them with the process of writing, but I'm giving them, actually I am, I'm giving them lots of skills that that help me. And so as a classroom teacher, eventually we did spend a lot of time outside doing writing. And I felt that did really help my students. And we would go on walks and four of my books started with trying to write that joy walking book. 
And I'm right now on the second draft of the book that I think might finally read that joy walking book. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I never thought to get, you're absolutely correct that the blank notebook is so scary. Yeah. And to get them to actually write on that first page to get them started as a strategy. I'm going to show you. See, I have tons of them. I have tons of them there. And then over here, I'm sorry, we're recording this. And then I have drawers of them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I love so that. all my, I mean, there's just like, my next book is 530 pages and every page was written in one of those target notebooks. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then do you, do you go to the computer at some point? Yeah. Yeah. I eventually move, but I have to draft yeah, everything. To draft. Yeah. The poems, it's the white space. It's the, yeah. the how thick the paper is. It, it, I have to do it. I get completely stuck if I try doing it on the computer. Oh my gosh. But for Louder Than Hunger, I didn't move completely to the computer until the fourth draft. Wow. Because I knew. Then it was just like, it was changing here and there. But if ever I had to create like a really long poem, I'd have to move back to the notebook. Okay. Yeah. Oh and my I, gosh. And I write really, really late at night because it that helps me. Like Kate Camillo, like yeah. has to write really early in the morning early, yeah. because her inner saboteur is not loud. But mine is at night. Like I can do oh it more like gosh. when I'm really, really tired. And so revising sometimes for that book and for yeah. the gift of story, I had no memory of writing it. Are you serious? <laughs> oh my like, gosh. Wait, like where did that come from? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> So sorry, and this is that has, tangent. No, and yeah. everyone has their own, you know, when you work, everyone works best at different times, yeah, yeah. which is great. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share about your books yeah. or your work with in schools with teachers and students? I would love to share the dedication for yes. This is a Story. And so This is a Story would not exist without Amy Krauss Rosenthal. I, Amy Krauss Rosenthal is what was one of my all-time yeah. favorite people, and I really really, really dislike that I had to use past tense. I know. Um, Her stories live on forever. But I'm going to read the dedication to this as a story. So this is a story for Amy Krauss Rosenthal, Molly O'Neill, who's my agent, Kate DiCamillo, Mm -hmm. Lauren Castillo, and you. And this book would not exist without all of those people. So yeah, so that's the dedication. And I love when teachers read dedications to their class. Yeah. yeah I <laughs> and then they're in the backstory too. <laughs> right. Of where yeah. this comes from. Did you ever get to meet Amy Rosenthal? I did. Yeah. Did? So I live in Naperville, oh. which is a okay. suburb of Chicago. And yeah. she lived in, I believe, Lakeview, which is a neighborhood okay. of Chicago. So yeah, I was able to, and I have one of her signed books right behind me, exclamation oh mark, which I love. And I yeah. think we're, you know, coming in and out of graduation season. I think her book, I Wish You More, is always yeah. the perfect book to give. But she looked at the world in such a unique way, in such mm-hmm. a beautiful way, and came up with so such interesting experiments for society. And yeah. in Lincoln Park, a neighborhood in Chicago across from the zoo, there's Amy Krauss Rosenthal Memorial, oh and it's gosh. it's a yellow umbrella, and it just has the word more on it. And oh. whenever I'm stuck writing, if I can, I go to that umbrella, and it feels like a very spiritual place to me. And when This is a School came out, I left copies of it, signed oh copies around the umbrella. And then when This is a Story came out, I did the same thing. And in each of them, I wrote, this is a story in honor of Amy Krauss Rosenthal. Oh my gosh, that's so <laughs> kind. <Yeah. laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, well, before we end, I'd like to end on a positive note. (laughs) Is there anything in your reading or writing or teaching life that's going well that you can share? And I can go first. Please. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
So I'm going to talk about my own reading. And you know, we're going back to the idea of modeling reading to your kids. So I am an enormous fan of Gretchen Rubin's work. Mm. And I loved The Happiness Project. This is more for adults than for kids. But The Happiness Project and Better Than Before about habit change. She's just very practical. And she had her current book that I just finished is called Life in Five Senses. Mm. How she got, I'm paraphrasing the title here, how she got out of her head and more into her body through the oh. five senses. And I was reading that in front of my kids and my older daughter really was into the cover. And she asked me about it. And as I was talking to her about it, I thought, oh my gosh, I could actually do a lot of the things in this book with you. Oh. And it became this interactive experience where like, there, she had a taste party. So I said, okay, let's try a taste party where we tried different varieties of apples and to see the difference between different kinds of apples. So it was just, and she made the comment, she said, oh my gosh, we tried so many things from your book. Oh. And she really liked that. So it was just a really, you know, a nice moment where, and I was able to meet Gretchen Rubin and I said, this book is amazing for kids because you can try out different experiments mm. with the five senses with them. I was just taking notes. I, I, I yeah. don't really read books for adults, but the, yeah. you made the child connection. So I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. read that. And it they was, were actually, so when, into it. <laughs> when you were talking about it, it reminded me of Amy Krauss Rosenthal. It sounds oh, so, very much like something she yeah. would do. Oh, yeah. I love that. So and it's funny. She talks about like sound and music and how some people need music when they work like mm. you and others really don't. So does each chapter focus on a different sense? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I wrote down Gretchen Rubin. And that will yeah. be, I, will get it. I will buy a copy today. That was a beautiful book talk and endorsement. Uh, okay. <laughs> So, so okay. I'm going to share a book that I just finished reading a few oh, days yes. ago, and it's going to be a KHD Camillo book, no surprise. <laughs> so I read uh, Mercy Watson is Missing, oh. which is the very, very final. It's the final, yeah. final book in the Mercy Watson series. Sure. So we first had the Mercy Watson series, and then we had the spinoff, Tales from Dekawu Drive. Yes, this which is was the, unbelievable. Yeah, uh, Those were this, unbelievable. This is the final book in the Tales it from Dekawu Tribe. But it feels like, like it combines the two series more than the others. So okay. every favorite character comes back. So Leroy Neeker, you know, who was looking for yeah. the horse of his heart is back. And it, again, explores that theme of the horse. And then Francine Poulet comes back, right. who wants to be a genuine article. And baby Lincoln is there. And she talks again about the importance of going on a necessary journey. journey. And Eugenia Lincoln is there. Even Eugenia, who's kind of cold-hearted, has the yeah. music in her heart. And right. it brings back all of the themes of all of the books. And it oh brings gosh. them together so beautifully. And this whole time, Mercy Watson is missing. And they're <laughs> trying to figure out where she is. And I'm not going to tell you where she is. But it does involve <laughs> butter. It involves not toast with toast. a great deal of butter on it. But it includes something else with a great oh deal of gosh. butter on it. It's the longest book in the series. It's the only one... In the Tales from Deckerwood Drive, it has a lot of full color illustrations. And I okay. just, I loved it. And it's my favorite book in the Mercy Watson series. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's amazing. In, it comes out in December of okay. 2023. So okay. it's a while. We'll have to, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that was, I thought the brilliance of going from the Mercy Watson mm. to the Tales of Deckerwood Drive, just to then to have each ancillary character yeah. star in the book was oh, amazing. So brilliant. Yeah. So brilliant. <laughs> and just the themes. Like I always love 
like when I would be reading, like, all right, what's going to be the line that I'm going to then talk about in my book talk for it? You know, right. like just right. in, and Katie Camillo is so beautiful about always coming back so. to it. Like, like when I think of Francine Poulet, genuine <laughs> article is the first thing that comes to right. mind. And I haven't read that book since I think it came out in 2016. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. I always suggest that series to parents to get so good because you can go for so long with it and it just yeah. keeps the kids motivated yeah, even longer. Book, I think it's a little bit longer with the yeah. last book being the longest. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so everyone Thank look you for, for that. Mercy look- Watson is missing. <laughs> Coming in December. <laughs> yes. Of 2023. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so oh, much, you. John. This was amazing. Oh, thank you. It was so uh, such an honor to be able to chat with you. And everyone out there, I was dealing with plumbing issues during this interview. So we actually did it in four parts. <laughs> but we got it done. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much, Elizabeth. <laughs> Oh my goodness, what an amazing conversation and so many great tips and strategies from John. I just love how John puts such an emphasis on heart and story in his work. And what a great way to talk about reading as being a workout for our imaginations. It's so powerful when trying to get kids engaged and interested in reading. I'm also going to try and find his $4.89 notebook from Target, and I will try to link to that in the show notes. So that's it for this episode. I really hope that John shared something that makes you think differently about books and stories and even writing. I know I gained so much from the conversation, and I'll be back in two weeks. Until then, you can find me on Instagram at The Literacy Teacher's Life. Or you can check out my blog at theliteracyteacherslife.com. And until next time, I'll see you in two weeks. And that's it for this episode of The Literacy Teacher's Life. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at The Literacy Teacher's Life. My email address is elizabeth at theliteracyteacherslife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend about this podcast. And of course, you can leave me a review on any podcast platform where you listen. I so appreciate it. I'll see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.